Welcome to Science Fact or Fiction, a podcast about your favourite science fiction stories and how accurate the science and technology have turned out to be. We will delve into everything from cloning dinos to alien contact, designer babies and high-tech suits. I'm your host Manon. And I'm your host Lance. And don't forget our wonderful producer Chrissy. Today I'm going to be telling Manon all about lab-grown food and how far we have come to making it into a reality. In particular, we'll be looking at the dystopian thriller film Soylent Green. So Lance, are we gonna spoil the big, oh. the big Soylent Green meme ending? Would it really be a spoiler if everyone already knows the ending? But <laughs> apparently think... Chrissy didn't know. And you... how how do you not know about a classic cult science movie when we're doing a science fiction podcast, Chrissy? It's honestly a travesty. So should we spoil it? Right. I'll give the recap, and then we'll, I guess we'll tell everyone all about what actually happened to Soylent Green. <laughs> So Soylent Green is a 1973 dystopian thriller film directed by Richard Fleischer. It is loosely based off a 1966 science fiction novel, Make Room, Make Room, written by Harry Harrison. In that same year, it also won the Saturn Award for the best science fiction film. So the movie takes place in 2022, which is only two years from now, in a densely overpopulated New York City. Wait, so how many people do they say is in New York in 2022? According to Soil and Green, there are 40 million people in New York City. And there's about 20 million people in New York City at the moment? At the moment, so... So, they're pretty much off the mark. Yeah, off the mark. That's already but a lot of people. still, like, that's a lot of people to be but living in New York now. To put that in perspective, there's 23 million people in the whole of Australia. But there's 20 million people in this tiny island of, of New, New York, York. Like so, cramped. Oh gosh, I don't know if I really want to I would like to see like New York, but like for a weekend maybe. Probably just for a weekend. Just like catch a musical and then like get the fuck out of there. <laughs> <laughs> there's just too many people, oh my gosh. Yeah, I couldn't deal with it. But yes, that's yeah, where Soylent Green Soylent takes Green. place. So 40 million people in Soylent yeah, Green. So in how, Soylent Green. what is life like in Soylent Green? Um, so the, there are currently the cumulative effects of overpopulation, pollution, and some apparent climate catastrophe which have caused a severe worldwide shortage of food, water and housing. That's right, in like Soylent Green it's very classist. So yeah. you have like the incredibly rich people mm -hmm. that have kind of our lives yeah. that we have now maybe. They have access maybe. to everything. They've got access to everything, they've got nice apartments um, and then and the, the majority people. of the people are just dirt poor yeah. slum living, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, trying to find where they can live on the streets and you know they have food riots and so, so most of them live on the streets, right? Yeah, there's no, no places of their own, but like some of them are lucky to just have like a you know little shelter. Mm. But, yeah. Good um, times. Good times. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's no middle class at all. There's just two fractions basically. And who is our gallant hero? He's from the lower class, right? He's from the lower class. So Frank Thorne, he's our NYPD detective who is investigating a murder of an executive at the rations manufacturer Soylent Corporation. Wait, so what? Soylent Corporation? Soylent Corporation, so that's the big manufacturer that produces all their rations, their foods for the, the food poor people. The food for the lower class well, For people. the lower class You've got two types of Soylent. Mm -hmm. You've got yellow and orange, right? And they're just made from different types of lentils and soy products. Yes, that's right. Yep. And then the movie comes in with this right. new, this new ration Soylent Green, Green, which is so much better than the 
the other two rations yeah. because it's made out of algae in the ocean. Yeah, supposedly ocean plankton. Ocean plankton. Like yeah. Love me some ocean plankton. Um, but yeah, as he discovers more behind the murder, he also discovers more about the actual products of Solent Green itself, which is, like we said before, mass-produced products consumed by the population. And is there anything else that I've missed or is there anything else you want to add? In... Algae farms are actually like pretty cool. Um, yeah. We do we have a lot of them in Western Australia because it's just desert and ocean. And right. so you can create these like big tanks where like algae is floating around because all you need is tanks and seawater that algae is used for like fertilizers and eating. That's pretty cool. And there's no shortage of that at all at the moment because there is a shortage of that in Soiling Green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they've like fogged up their oceans or something in yeah. Soiling Green too, I mean, right? Yeah, they just destroyed their earth entirely you know there's just no more green and, and ironically they named their food stolen green so yeah so they currently they have these big algae farms because it's really the algae farms are very useful mm. because they're often grown in places where you can't grow anything else yeah that's pretty cool um and so exhausting. and then they i'm just looking at what they oh and then they're thinking they might try to create like algae fuel um, oh yeah, like sustainable biofuels for cars and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, this is what I wanted to get into when I was going to do a PhD. <laughs> yeah, so I feel like I should know more about it. What what do they use? I haven't the touched on for? this topic since like high school and year twelve when we were talking about chemistry, which they do talk about because you know renewable energy and um, sustainable fuels. And, oh, it's often yeah. used for animal feed, can create vegetable oil, right. food supplements. So it's not really a food per se. Yeah, it's more. But like an alternative algae? for like what we already eat. What's the difference between algae and seaweed? I don't know. Um, yeah, but algae is amazing. It grows ten times more rapidly than terrestrial mm -hmm. plant um, really crops, quick. okay. And it requires less of the tenth of the land needed to produce an equivalent amount of biomass. So it grows ten times as quickly, and it requires less, like a tenth less of the land required yeah. than regular crops. And it grows on non-productive land and non-arable land, so it doesn't compete with other food crops for space. Right, yeah. Oh, and because good. it doesn't require fresh water, it can be fertilized more efficiently than land crops, and you, you avoid that intensive water usage. You know how we've got like yeah. a big issue yeah. with the Murray-Darling at yeah. the moment because yeah. the farmers need the water from the Murray-Darling to feed their crops, mm. to water their crops. You don't have this with algae. So everybody eat algae. But it's something that they're working on in research, yeah. I guess, for a time where we do maybe reach that stage in Stalling Green where we are quite overpopulated. So now I know that both Manon and Christy are vegetarians, but what are your thoughts on lab-grown meat? Well, my thoughts about lab-grown meat is that it's still better to be a vegetarian than eat lab-grown meat. Are you saying it's because we still have to source that cell from animals itself? To no, I'm not even talking about um, animal ethics. I really, but, really like lab-grown meat in yeah. terms of animal ethics. Creating lab-grown meat is incredibly energy intensive. So it's still, well, it's better to be a vegetarian now than to eat right. meat. Because at the moment, the way that we farm animals is very... Yeah. Because we're feeding them corn, right? Yeah. And they take up a lot of land and water. And so it's very energy intensive. And so... Agriculture, meat agriculture is just unsustainable for the environment. So yeah, I think so, we can both agree that concept of factory farming isn't great. Animal ethics yeah. aside, the way that we produce meat at the moment creates a lot of like yeah. greenhouse gases, gases and it's just very energy intensive. 
Lab-grown meat will be better than that, but lab-grown meat will still be very energy-intensive. So it is always better right. to have a more of a plant-based diet and supplement that diet with meat products because meat's really good for you, right? So I'm not telling you not to eat meat. I'm just telling you that you should have a more of a plant-based diet um, and supplement your diet with meat. On top of that, the agricultural and livestock industry is responsible for 80% of those global greenhouse gases. Wait, what? 80%? 18, 18. 18. So, okay. No, you no, got to no, stop no, mumbling, no. man. <laughs> oh gosh. It's going to okay. be riots yeah. in the streets. So, and almost all of that is to basically produce beef. Yeah, I've yeah, heard that beef crazy. is like predominantly yeah, like, one of the bad ones. And in simple terms, it basically means it takes a lot to raise a cow. Because, you know, all the land they need and, you know, feeding them. They produce methane. And methane, and... exactly right. So I think it's safe to say, assume that Australia is also quite a meat-loving country. Definitely. Do you know which country consumes the most amount of meat in the world? Um, I do actually know which oh, country you already know it. Okay, maybe, maybe you can tell the audience that don't know uh, which country that um, is. The, well, well, it's because it's like population size and yeah. because it's been the powerhouse for so long, but it's, it's the US. It's the US, yeah. Um, I actually thought it was India because they're the biggest exporters of meat. But they're predominantly vegetarian, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, it's true. But they're, actually, they're vegetarian, but they're the biggest exporters of beef. Did you know that? Whoa. Which is pretty ironic. Yeah, ironic. I, I learned that from a, I'm not sure if the source is like reliable, but he's an Indian vlogger. And he knows all about this, and I follow him on YouTube just because I, he's cool. Yeah, I just yeah. think like India had a lot of land. Like that, that's why we're such a big exporter yeah. of beef because we've just got a fuck ton of yeah, non non crop yeah. bearing yeah. land. And it's just used for raising these animals. Yeah, and they just roam yeah. free. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, but I don't think it's a surprise for some, but Australia comes in second after the US uh, as the huge consumers of beef. And that was a study done by the BBC in 2019. And you've already mentioned the reasons as to why this is the case is because, you know, there's just simply more people needing to be fed and the world is becoming more richer and therefore they can afford meat. The meat consumption in China is growing yeah. so much because they're just becoming yeah, just a richer more, country yeah. and as people are becoming more middle class, they yeah, want to exactly. eat meat. Now that we're mass producing meat, killing lots of animals, hurting them in the process and fucking up the environment, Everybody can happily eat as many steaks as their little fucking mouths can stomach. And wow. I, I'm not, I'm actually, in my like real life, I'm not a preachy vegetarian. <laughs> but like oh maybe no. I am when I'm given the platform of a preachy vegetarian. Can you like edit me out and make me a bit more mellow, Chrissy? <laughs> oh, that was just a bit of context and overview. We're not here to talk about like veganism. But the possibility speak for yourself <laughs> and i know no, we joking. have two big vegetarians in this room but here we're talking about the science and the possibility of you know lab grown meat so in fact scientists have been talking about growing meat since 2001 and the first public trial was in 2013 where the world's first test tube burger was grown and cooked in london it was created by a group of dutch scientists from a dutch food technology company called moza meat and it cost them about $370,000 to make that burger. Was it uh, a good burger? I think it was a good burger. So that's an expensive burger. I didn't know how the um, people felt about eating the burger, but it was just a test. It was actually funded by the Google co-founder as well. His name was I Sammy heard that Brin. the burger was actually quite crap. crap especially crap, for $370,000 for a burger. Because yeah. what they could only do in 2013 was they could only take one cell and then like divide yeah. that one cell. So you only had like one type of meat. They actually found a way where, you know, they can just have it grown into one type of meat. 
Um, so the production, uh, it took three laboratory technicians and three months to grow this burger. And it was made from taking muscle cells from a cow and culturing it. Right, so it was only muscle cells in the patty. Yeah, and the way they did it is... Um, Are muscle cells tasty? The fat's tasty, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe you could take some muscle cells and some fat cells and like grow them up and then just like mush them together. So they actually take the stem cells of the blood and then they proliferate it. So they grow it. That's what proliferation means. They multiply the cells mm. and then they stop it at uh, where it starts to be more specific to a particular type of tissue. So in this case, a muscle cell uh, that makes up the beef of the patty. So Mosin Meat estimate that cultured meat could happen between around 2021, which Ooh, is strange enough, that's coming up. <laughs> a year before Solar Green and a year from now. But lab grown meat is lab- actually people. <laughs> oh my god! What, would it, what if it is? Uh, <laughs> we'll but, need we'll need Detective Thorn on the case. <laughs> oh my gosh! This is this sci-fi is just too. But <laughs> it will only be first available in expensive restaurants at first, due to the cost, of course. In fact, there are two companies in Australia that are aiming to make meat grown from animal stem cells from a laboratory, a commercial. Reality, and right? These, so they're trying to yeah. get the the lab grown meat a commercial reality. Yeah. So like, okay. So that you know, it's just something you can just pick up from the supermarket. Cool. Yeah. And these two companies are called Heroes, H E U R O S, and there's Val Foods, which is located in Sydney. And apparently, it's actually quite easy to produce lab grown meat. It's just a large factory size commercial production that is stopping it from actually being put out there. So you can create lab-grown meat and it's easy? Apparently it's easy, but it's just, you know, the commercial production and driving down costs and the support and the demand for it, which isn't actually So if we high. could like commercialize these labs, like have like a factory of yeah. lab-grown meat. Yes, yeah. because currently this is all done in like research labs and stuff. And but does the lab-grown meat, does it taste exactly the same as regular meat? Like could you pick up a lab-grown meat next to non-lab-grown meat and not be able to tell the difference? That's what they're trying to do. And they already have done that with plant-based meat as well, which is something else that discussed later on. It but definitely yeah. does not taste like meat, apparently. Re- I really liked it, but apparently it does not taste like right. meat. Right. It tastes a little bit like meat. Well, I've had they're the- They're getting um, better at it. Like I've the, had the patties from Grilled. Oh, so it was, it was, it was Lab- completely like um pea protein. Yeah. I quite liked it. Um, all right. So what's the science behind lab-grown meat? So the science behind lab-grown meat involves three main processes. And the first one is selecting a starter cell. So that is the stem cells waiting in your body that repairs any injured tissue. So for example, if your muscle gets injured, the stem cells start to proliferate and form muscle tissue to repair what is injured. So we have these cells called stem cells yes. in every type of in every type of tissue in our body. In the body. In yeah. our muscle cells, in our fat cells. cells. If we damage our muscle cell or our fat cell, for example, mm. these stem cells are like programmed to then become a muscle, muscle cell, cell and fix it. And fix it, exactly And so it's right. these stem cells, they've already, that they're... Waiting in your they're body. They're waiting to become a muscle cell. A, a particular specialized type of cell. And yeah. we just take it out of the cow and instead of becoming a muscle cell in the cow, it becomes a muscle cell so, in our lab. In our lab. So yeah, we're using that mechanism to create muscle tissue outside of the body and hence the meat itself. But yeah, and that's pretty much the process. And the second part of that process is putting it in an environment designed to replicate the inside of the animal. And this is known as a growth medium. Um, So embryonic stem cells, they can become any cell the embryo needs. Adult stem cells 
are a stem cell that is not a cell yet, but it is already pre-programmed to become um, a specific type of cell. cell. Okay. So an adult blood stem cell can become different types of blood cells, but it can only become blood cells. Yeah. It can't become muscle cells. Right, okay. Whereas an embryonic stem cell can become muscle or blood or tissue or whatever it needs to be. But these cells that we're taking from an adult cow can only become adult cow muscle cells. So the adult stem cell. The adult stem cell. It's programmed to become muscle cells. Yes, it's still a stem oh, cell. Gosh. So it's not a muscle cell. It's still a stem cell, but it's been programmed. So we take out the adult one. We, we take out the adult muscle stem cell that if the cow got injured and it had to repair its muscle stem cell, that stem cell would start proliferating in the cow and fixing the cow's muscles. Right. But okay. instead, we take it out, or well, one of it, like it's obviously the cow's fine, it's still got many yeah. more, it's just a biopsy. Yeah. We take out that stem cell, grow it in a laboratory that simulates the environment right. of, of the, the cow needing to have that muscle cell replicated. So we, we select these stem cells from the animal and provide them with the correct environment for the growth. So we stimulate the environment inside. that the cow would have inside its body, outside of the cow's body. And then we grow these muscular stem cells in bulk in an environment that mimics an animal's body. By giving it, you know, the appropriate nutrients and simulating the environment, really. So to grow meat for about 10,000 Europeans for an entire year, apparently we would need a 25,000 litre bioreactor the size of a room. So it'd be this big ass chamber that is like got all these fluids and chemicals in it that stimulate a cow's <laughs> body. And we put in these muscular stem cells and these muscular stem cells would start to proliferate into Dude. other muscles. And then we graft these muscle stem cells onto, it's kind of like a scaffold that's made out of gelatin. And then it grafts onto this and you have your steak. steak. Um, this is really great because you can then, in a lab, you, you can have this, this lab-grown meat that was created from a biopsy of a cow that is still alive. The only problem with it is that it's just one type of cell, right? It's just a muscle cell. And apparently meat tastes really, really bad when it's just muscle. You need a lot of fat in there as well. So um, now what they're thinking is that they'll grow fat and they'll grow muscle together and mix it all in. Like they're trying to get it to replicate the real thing as much as possible. But the problem with lab-grown meat is that it's it's very cultured, right? It's, it's quite synthetic. It's quite... Synthetic. It's, the problem with lab-grown meat is it's clean. Exactly. It's, clean. Yeah. it's like you have these muscle cells and you have these fat cells and they're all like scaffolded very neatly onto this gelatin scaffold. Everything's being created. Whereas in nature, you don't see that at all. And that's apparently what gives the meat. It's, it's like texture, flavor it's and flavor. texture. Yeah. So at the moment, they're trying to like work out how to get these muscle cells and fat cells and like mix them all together. But it's very exciting, right? Because they're like creating this like completely new food. And that's a very exciting possibility. And yeah, would you be happy to eat that then? Um, <laughs> vegetarians now shouldn't eat lab-grown meat because you're still consuming like less energy. It's still very mm. energy intensive to create these lab-grown meats. Less so than raising cows. So it's better for the environment. No, I'm not talking about animal ethics. Mm. Yeah. It's better for the environment, environment. to eat lab-grown meat, but it's better for the environment to be vegetarian. Yes, that's true. Then all three of them. Then, like, out of the three of them, it's best for the environment to be vegetarian. If this was um, 
this was on the table, I think I would definitely want to try it. It'd be a great thing to like, mm. especially like if it's like the offcuts of the meat would be a great thing. Like I would get a dog and I'd feed my dog that. <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately, none of that is just quite commercially available yet due to obviously the cost and the size and the production uh, rate. But you know what else is commercially available besides lab-grown meat that is also meat? Wait, what about the scaling up issue? So can we scale this up out of a lab into supermarkets? So yeah, that's the question on everybody's mind. But as you mentioned before, we need a bioreactor, which is essentially what simulates the inside of an animal the size of a room. And that is 25,000 litres. And that alone is enough to feed 10,000 people for a year. The guy who's in charge of it, Professor Post, he's quite yeah. confident. He says the arrangement will resemble a beer brewery, oh. but for stem cells and not hops and barley. So robotic systems would be used to combine the muscle fibers and make the burger patties, and you'd have these big reactors. And so yeah, it just needs to be capitalized and so industrialized. So demand. So are people, do you reckon people would actually be interested in this? I think so, especially, you know, it's really good for the environment. I think as we get more and more used to technology, it becomes more normalised. A survey by the ABC News found that 65% of people said they would probably or definitely try it, and only 8% said that they definitely wouldn't. But I still feel like lamb-grown meat is a bit more on the fringe and that people would probably pick, like, the natural non-lab-grown meat, slaughtered cow meat over lab-grown meat. Yeah. But also, like, people are very moral as well, and I think if they did have the option to, like, not harm an animal in the making of their food they would pick that option if that was yeah an option that was economically feasible for their family and still tasted the same and there are also alternatives to that so it, your meat doesn't even have to come from stem cells but there's also plant-based meats as well and there are companies out there that are mimicking everything from the taste to the texture to the color to even the grilling of the sound when you're cooking a beef patty and I did a bit of research on how these plant-based meats are made and it's essentially just sunflower and coconut oil with a bit of soy protein extract. It doesn't come from a pig or cow or any animal at all. So Beyond Meat, so it's one of the major companies competing in the plant-based meat industry, uh, said that their products are made by layering in plant-based fats, fruit and vegetable-based colors and flavors using a process of heating, cooling and pressure to create these fibrous texture of meat. And the secret ingredient is adding hemoglobin. And hemoglobin is a protein in your red blood cells that carries oxygen to your body's organs and tissue. And it's responsible for making meat taste like meat, which is uh, the motto for impossible foods. And hemoglobin is found in every living plant animal, so uh, it doesn't even need to be extracted from, yeah, animals. Wait, so hemoglobin... It's what makes meat taste like meat. Yeah, the Hemoglobin the is a red blood cell. The protein in your red blood cell. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so what are you saying that in terms of plant-based meat? So they add that in. So it basically is the final cherry on top that makes it look like and taste like meat. And you don't have to get that from animals. You can actually get that from plants as well. There's hemoglobin in plants. Yes. Yeah. It's found in all living things. Wait, so hemoglobin in animals and humans is the iron-containing oxygen transport protein, right? Yeah. It's like in your red blood cells, it's made of iron, which binds the oxygen and transports the oxygen around your body. Yes, that's correct. So how is this also in a plant? Because plants don't have red blood cells. So the equivalent of hemoglobin is found in the roots of plants, which is what allows these plant-based meats to taste like meat. 
So at the moment, plant-based meat is still slightly more expensive than traditional meat, but recent data shows that it will soon get cheaper. The main issue, as usual, is that these companies simply haven't reached a large enough size to optimize supply lines. It is a simple economic equation. Companies need to generate profit. At the end of the day, it's always about the economy and money. Meat not sourced from living animals is potentially far cleaner and healthier and better for the environment, free from hormones, antibiotics, and cultured meat could be the future. With a rise in population, middle class, and environmental degradation, our future might just end up like Solent Green. But Solent Green isn't plant-based or lab-grown, but made from ocean plankton. But that's never—that's not ever going... Well, like, obviously it's science fiction, but like we've never had to come... We have not yet come to a place where we've like run out of animals Food. and like the ability to eat animals. And I'm like, I'm hopeful that if we ever get to that place, by the time we get to a place where we can't, where we can no longer eat animals because it's like unsustainable and there's not enough land, yeah. we'll have created this alternative, which is the lab-grown meat. meat. Hopefully, I think the end of this story is like one of hope because it's like Soiling Green was like a really dark future where overpopulation was like running rampant. While overpopulation is still like a big issue nowadays, women's rights and education is growing, which we predict will lower the population. And then also at the moment, at least, like science and technology is keeping pace with our growing demand for food. Because it is really scary because there is about 1.5 billion people currently who are living a vegetarian diet, but as they get richer, would want to be eating meat. People in China and India and potentially Africa in the future. And this is great that these countries are becoming richer. It also just means that the meat consumption will go up. So I'm really, I'm hoping that in the future we will see more like lab-grown meat and plant-based meat substitutes that taste a lot like meat that can meet these demands from the future consumers. And so we don't end up with a soylent green, green. sort of situation, situation. Which is obviously very, very intense and like, <laughs> very unlikely to happen i really hope there's no food or water wars in my lifetime <laughs> but yeah let's hope that these science pictures aren't really foretelling an inevitable future but just warning us of the consequences of what might be and yeah i don't know yeah. yeah i feel like it's kind of cool because that that's what we thought in the 70s that's what we thought our future would be that like um overpopulation would run rampant and mm. that technology would not keep up but we're seeing that like you know humans are innovative and we are coming up with more technology and oh. we are becoming a more equal society where like women can have more choices on their reproductive rights which will lower the population and are we are we creating greater class divides Probably. Let's not get into that though, because I don't really know I enough think you're about it. And you know, maybe you're right. And hopefully that will be the case where, you know, there's just better quality and understanding of how things like this work. But yeah, to end on an interesting note and quote of predicting futures, Winston Churchill saw the future of meat back in 1936. He said, with a greater knowledge of what are called hormones, i.e., the chemical messengers in our blood, it will be possible to control growth. We shall escape the absurdity of growing a whole chicken in order to eat the breast or wing by growing these parts separately under a suitable medium. Mm, doesn't really make sense, but doesn't okay. Doesn't really make sense, but that's what <laughs> But we are kind of doing so, that because we're we pumping exactly. agricultural <laughs> livestock full of hormones to the point where they can't walk anymore. <laughs> that's probably true. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, that is a note we can end this podcast on. I hope everyone enjoyed it. On the next episode, I'm going to be talking about robots and instead of getting into robots and AI and instead of getting into science I think I might be starting to talk a little bit more about the ethics the ethics of science um so if you are interested in that I hope to see you there next week and that's what? robots are we're really getting into sort of cult classics then I'm currently trying to toss up between the Terminator and Blade Runner both equally great movies I think I'm just going to end up talking about them both of them <laughs> Well, I look forward to it. And if you do want to chat with us with any of the things we spoke about, you can message us on Facebook or Twitter at Science Fact or Fiction. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this episode, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or give us feedback on our website, which will be linked in the description below.